we kind of believe in different concept of God, different concept of religion, different concept of scripture that passed along several generations. In reality, there are more similarities between Islam and Christianity than the differences. But we still have to acknowledge all the differences and we should not allow those differences to interfere our friendship. Welcome to the Center for Congregations podcast. This is a conversation for anyone invested in sustaining and strengthening their faith communities. The Center for Congregations is an Indiana nonprofit that exists because we believe the work of your congregation is essential. Our mission is to strengthen your congregation by helping you find the right information or expertise for your congregation's needs. We're able to do this because of the generosity of the Lilly Endowment. Welcome back, everyone, to the Center for Congregations podcast. I am your co-host, Ben Tapper, and I'm joined by the one, the only, Matt Burke. Hey, Matt. Quite an intro. What's up, Ben? I'm going to up the ante every episode from now on (laughs) until you're just incredibly uncomfortable with how I'm introducing you. That's my goal. (laughs) Well, you've already reached your goal. I'm already incredibly uncomfortable. But today we have an interesting episode. We had the opportunity to speak with Soman U, who is the secretary of the Burmese Muslim Education and Community Center in Fort Wayne, and Joe Johns, who's the former pastor of Fellowship Missionary in Fort Wayne. And it was a really beautiful interfaith dialogue. And Matt, as we think about faith communities learning from one another, practicing hospitality, I'm wondering how you have seen this come up in your work at the center. Yeah, actually, I haven't seen it come up a whole lot. It's kind of the question behind the question in a lot of the conversations that I'm in. And I think there's a lot to learn from this interview and from the conversation between Somin and Joe about how we deal with people who are different from us. Because I think while we're not often asked the question, how do we deal with people who are different from us? It's definitely coming up. I mean, just in the polarization that we're experiencing in our society that is now in the middle of our congregations, we have a lot of polarization happening and an inability to hear someone else's experience and be empathetic. And so I think this conversation is really, really helpful along those lines. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with you. I don't get to talk about this and deal with it too much in my work. Although the example I'm thinking of is the Hindu Temple of Central Indiana, which is on the northeast side of Indianapolis here. And it's the largest like full service Hindu temple in the state. And they have created a virtual walking tour of their facility because it's a beautiful facility, very large, really artistic. And they're using this walking tour as a way to kind of welcome community members, Christian organizations, boys and girls club groups into their building to learn about the Hindu faith and to kind of build those bridges and form relationships with their neighbors. And I just, I think that's such a beautiful idea. And I know some of their leaders have also participated in like an Eastern, Western kind of faith discussion, a community conversation. And so there are examples like that that I've heard about and and I've gotten to experience that are in this vein, but day in and day out, it doesn't come too often, although I'm really excited when it does. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, a lot of this conversation, Ben, boils down to if you only know about someone then you don't know anything about them. Mm. Mm. (laughs) And what I mean by that is if all you know about a certain demographic of people 
is what you've heard from others in your demographic, chances are you don't have any concept of the reality. And I don't even mean that ethnically. Like, to be honest with you, growing up in my conservative Christian background, I could use the example of Presbyterians. Mm, (laughs) I had a colleague here, Katie Lindbergh, who you all will get the pleasure of hearing from her and some of my former colleagues in a few weeks. But she honestly was the first Presbyterian that I had ever known. And in my ignorance, I was surprised at how much she loved Jesus and the Holy Mm, Spirit. (laughs) And I say that, you know, obviously I feel bad about that, right? Like that is not something that I'm proud of. But it illustrates the point that if you only know about a group of people, then you probably don't know anything about them in all honesty. All you know are the stories that you're hearing from the people who are, quite frankly, just like you. Yeah. Yeah, that's real. I mean, similar growing up for me, growing up in the Assemblies of God. I actually don't think I met a Presbyterian, at least I don't think I knew I had met a Presbyterian until I got to seminary. So I knew nothing about them. But the Episcopals, those are the folks in my mind that I really had some serious concerns about when I was growing up. And so, you know, I was not fully astonished, but kind of pleasantly surprised when I got to meet some in seminary and in my adult life. And I'm like, oh, Y'all are cool people. <laughs> I don't know what I was tripping on, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. And to, to be clear, mad love for all you Presbyterians and Episcopalians <laughs> out there and, and folks of other faith traditions as well, even those from the faith traditions that I came from. All of you have beauty to you, and there are wonderful things present in you. But when we lack the dialogue with each other, we miss out on those pieces and we miss out on the ability to learn from people who are different from us. Yeah. And one of the things that I believe is really beautiful about the conversation that we had in this interview that y'all are about to hear, you know, is that we had a Burmese mosque, right? And a, I don't know if they would call themselves conservative, but Fellowship Missionary is not an uber progressive congregation, you know, by any means. And they were able to still find ways to build that bridge and to have those conversations. And it's not maybe what you would expect, but maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe those conversations shouldn't be as surprising as they are to us because there are a lot of points of commonality. I mean, we're all people, we all want roughly the same things in community. And so when we can just get down to that brass tacks, we realize there are a lot of things we can talk about and relate about that have nothing to do with our theological differences. And there's a simplicity yet a beauty in that. Yeah. And these two congregations came to this because of their shared humanity and honestly, from their own faith commitments. And so they were able to develop a relationship based on those things. And I think we can learn a lot of lessons from that. Yeah. So Matt and I were excited about this. Hopefully y'all enjoy it too. We're going to stop hyping it up and let you hear from Soman and Joe themselves. So check out this interview with Soman U and Joe Johns. everyone. Welcome back. And we are so thankful to have Soman U, the secretary of the Burmese Muslim Education and Community Center with us, as well as Joe Johns, the director for strategic partnerships for World Partners and formerly the senior pastor at Fellowship Missionary Church. So Soman and Joe, thanks for being here. My pleasure to be here. It's great to be here. So we wanted to talk with you two simply because of a partnership that came through a relationship that you had in South Fort Wayne. But before we get there, Soman, I'd like to talk to you about just kind of some historical context about Burmese Muslims in Fort Wayne, how they came to be here and such numbers and the kind of the assimilation in the area. I think people would be interested and curious about how that came to be. 
Um, let me start with my personal story because most of our community member has an identical story here in Fort Wayne, especially the Burmese Muslim community. Like Matt, you mentioned, my name is So Minu. I am a former refugee coming from the Burma, the country now known as Myanmar. I was about 10 years old when I became a refugee. Because of the military dictatorship in Burma, the military regime attacked our home and bombed our village. And since then, we become refugee in Thai-Burma border. I came to the United States in 2008 with the refugee resettlement program. So majority of the Burmese Muslim community here came to the United States with the same program, refugee background, mostly coming from the Thai-Burma border. We have several refugees come in that area. Before 2008, 2006, 7, we have some Burmese community member here. It was just a few hundreds probably. But United States accepting the Burmese refugees and started in 2006, 7, 8, and waves and waves of refugees came into the United States. And for Wayne, since we already have the Burmese community here, so most people came into the Fort Wayne. The resettlement process is kind of slowed right now, but we still have the community members coming into Fort Wayne from the different states. And if they arrive to the Texas, Oregon, New York, and then now they are moving back to uh, Fort Wayne because of, we have such a large communities and several resources available as far as the language translations and transportation. And plus, we have the mocks in the here. It's easier for the religious studies and all that. So mostly, the recent year, we have more community members from the different states moving into Fort Wayne. Got it. Thank you for that background. That's really helpful. And so how did you and Joe meet? How did the partnership with BMECC and Fellowship Missionary kind of begin? Either one of you can speak to that. I met Pastor Joe. And when I met him, he was at the fellowship. And Pastor Joe, about two years ago when I met him, when Pastor Joe and a few of the other churches members came over to the mosque, it all started this willingness to talk to one another. One conversation led to another, one meeting led to another, and one friendship led to another. And Pastor Joe was visited to the mock several times, including one of our mock's uh, opening event. I visited Fellowship Missionary Church and invited the Fellowship family members to attend one of our outdoor food marts. And the goal was to bring those communities, the two communities together, to learn more about one another, to learn about the communities, give them free ticket for the foods, and several of them show up and learn about the community and drive the foods. Passage also connected me with the many community leaders, so our marks had a better results and better networking within the city if we needed. He was also presented to the public hearing when we were working on to get the approval for the our cemetery projects. I will talk about the cemetery projects and later on on the podcast, I want to take a moment to say thank you to Pastor Joe on behalf of BMECC and entire Burmese Muslim community. Thank you, Pastor Joe, for all the support that you have done for our community. Thank you. Well, you're very kind. Thank you, Simon U. And I think you've captured the basis of our relationship. And I'm surprised to even remember it's only been about two years ago now. It's been quite a two years since then. But yeah, uh, from my perspective, Pastoring at Fellowship, it was very evident to me that the Burmese Muslim population and community right around us was growing and thriving, and it was clear that they were assimilating well and gaining resources here in the community. 
many were beginning to buy homes in the area. And it was also clear to me that the community was thriving in so far as they were able to construct their own mosque, which is check me on this, Samin, but it's the largest Burmese mosque in the US. Yes, this is the first mosque that built by the Burmese refugee in the United States. So I could tell that there was a lot of activity happening within the Burmese Muslim community that was right around us. And so my first thought was, I'd like to find out more and learn more about this community. So that ended up into stopping by the mosque and trying to make some connections and to figure out who could be a connection for me there to learn more about what's happening in the community. Honestly, there was a secondary motivation in that, and it started a little earlier at some other mosques in Fort Wayne. It was actually some years ago after a shooting that occurred, in, I believe it was in San Bernardino a few years back, and it was connected to terrorism and Muslims involved. And I just had the thought that I wonder what life is like for Muslims living in Fort Wayne, attending you know, various mosques in Fort Wayne. I was just curious about what it would be like. And so that was part of the reason as well that I wanted to get in touch with somebody at this mosque that was literally in our own neighborhood to find out from them what their experience has been like being Muslim here in a time where at that time in particular, there was a lot of emotion and energy about the Muslim community here in Fort Wayne, a lot of distrust or assumptions being made. So I was curious to know what it looked like uh, from their perspective. And one of the questions I asked of so many as we started to build the relationship. It's beautiful, the places that curiosity will take you, isn't it? Right? Like, it is. We just started that question. I wonder what it's like became a seed that has helped bear a lot of fruit. And speaking of that fruit, I've got a question that sounds like one question, but I think it's actually two. Y'all can correct me if I'm wrong. First, I'm wondering, Soman and Joe, what have y'all learned about each other and your respective communities? And then also, what do you think your communities have learned about each other's communities? So that could be the same answer, but it could also be two different answers. Yeah, that's a great question. Personally, I learned so much from Soman about the assimilation of their community into the life and the fabric of Fort Wayne insofar as that's occurred. And I have some experience in the early 2000s with refugee resettlement in Fort Wayne and have been a part of the Somali Bantu community to one degree or another and watching their assimilation and others in Fort Wayne. And I was really surprised to learn how unique the Burmese community and particularly the Muslim community is in being able to take advantage of opportunity that life in America affords them in terms of education, in terms of building wealth and equity. Within a relatively short period of time, I learned how well-suited this community is to doing life in Fort Wayne. And, and that's really amazing when, if, you know, someone shares more about his story, like many folks, basically the life that they've known is being warehoused in a refugee camp on the Thailand-Burma border for decades in some cases. And I was just amazed by how much traction the community has been able to gain by taking advantage of the American dream. It's still here and present in some way. And I, I kind of see this community as moving into it. 
And that's one thing that surprised me that I learned. So what I learned from the Joe and the fellowship is how similarity the Christian and the Muslim is. We all want to live at peace with each other. And to do that, we have to appreciate the similarities that we share and acknowledge the difference we have. When I say this, I deeply believe the creator of this universe. I'm sharing the same belief as a Muslim, as a Christian, as a Jew. We kind of believe in different concepts of God, different concepts of religion, different concepts of scripture that pass along several generations. In reality, there are more similarities between Islam and Christianity than the differences. But we still have to acknowledge all the differences, and we should not allow those differences to interfere our friendship. So what I said I learned from the Pastor Joe and fellowship is that I noticed Christianity speak very highly about love and peace. And I only know this from Christianity friends. You will be surprised to discover that Islam also share the same similar value when you become with a friend, with a, a Muslim. So working together and partnering with Joe, I learned that how much similarities we have between you know these two communities and the Christian and Muslim. So it is really beneficial for me to see that, to learn that. If we focus on what makes us similar, Soman, then we'll have no reason to be divided. And then how will people make money? <laughs> I mean, like... <laughs> But in all seriousness, I think it's uh, wonderful that you can name that and articulate that because for a lot of folks, they may not have the opportunity to just kind of be in the same space or be in conversation with folks from a different faith tradition. And one of the reasons that we were excited to have you all on today is that you're modeling what is possible when you take that step towards each other. It's been very beneficial. Some of the relationships in my life that are most transformative are with people who either live in a different place in the world or come from a different worldview entirely. And if you can bridge them over into friendship where you can appreciate both what's similar, as Stillman said, and what's different, those are friendships and relationships that can be transformative in one way or another. Yeah. And I have to believe that this partnership and relationship was somewhat controversial in each of your communities to some degree. How did you navigate that tension that some people may have had about the partnership between a Christian congregation and a Muslim congregation? Yeah, it was a reality that I had to navigate even in my own congregation. And the way I did so was just continue coming back to the central teaching and figure of my faith is Jesus of Nazareth, who is the Christ. And I have learned to appreciate how Somenu appreciates the prophet Jesus as well. And where we differ is, I would say, Jesus of Nazareth is more than a prophet. But the point is, that's who I follow, and that's who our congregation follows. And he has very specific teachings about loving one's neighbor, about whose one neighbor is. And so as I got some sentiment from some folks about this might not be wise, or maybe based on their generalized view of Muslims in general, and whatever deficits they may have in understanding that, the pushback was, well, this may be unwise or even dangerous. And my response is just to come back to what does it look like to love one's neighbor as oneself? And what it looks like so often is, you know, moving across the road or going across the street, I just says in the parable of the Good Samaritan. And for me, that was almost literally going across 
Tillman Road and going over to the new mosque. So I thought at the end of the day, I'm trying to model what it means for me to be faithful to the life that Jesus has demonstrated to us. It just takes time to help people understand what that looks like and be patient with people as we all have our own hangups about one thing or another, you know? We have kind of the same situation in the community too. And some could be very welcoming. Some could be kind of sad bad because of where we come from. And we come from a society where we have a really deep culture background where we interact within our own communities. I mean, because of where we used to live with the military governments and try to use the religion as a tool to separate people where we come from. So some of the community members are, say, you know, comfortable just interacting with their own community. One of the our BMECC, its mission is to build a stronger relationship with different communities. Uh, we have to teach that to our community member too. The reason is we are a part of the Fort Wayne. Fort Wayne is our home, and it is our job to create more inclusive society. I mean, we have older generations and newer the new generations are kind of welcoming some of the older generations where they come from and kind of step back and why other communities are in our center. What are they doing here? I mean, plus what we see out there on the media, social media about Islam and Muslim. So seeing that, and we have some congregants that are not very welcoming, but some, there are some very welcoming. I think last month when we had a university student visiting our center and we have a brother just came in and take the whole group of students to their home to share a meal. I mean, there are some people in the congregate are very welcoming and some are sad bad. And we have to teach that and through our imam, our scholar on the Friday uh, congregations, we teach us to be more welcoming and more accepting others. Yeah, and I think in that regard, it's so important to stay focused on the positive we mentioned that already. So like within our congregation, one piece I was going to mention, but didn't earlier that in coming to know, when I started to get to know Somenu, he told me that he was already familiar with my church because when he came originally to Fort Wayne, his family got connected to a physician yes. who happened to be a part of our church community. And that physician and her family, for whatever particular reason, really took a favored So Min U and his family. And even to the extent that at Christmas, there was some gift exchange. And then didn't they invite you to their home? Yes. It was the pivotal moment that often never happens for immigrants. But when it happens, it makes a huge difference. And that moment is when they share a meal in an American home in the household of an American who invited them into their home. And so that happened early on in your experience. And it just so happened that it was a, a family from our church that um, took a liking to, to um, your family and invited you in. And that made a big difference in your assimilation process, did it not? Yes, it was a very unique experience. Dr. Shelby Kenner and the husband, uh, Garrison, it was earlier in 2009, so just a year after we arrived to the United States. And they are more than our family doctors. Uh, they're friends and visited our home several times. 
And that one particular Christmas, it was Christmas Eve, and they came to us and picked up the whole family, took it to their home that evening where they shared the Christmas stories. And I still remember translating that to my mothers and my siblings, the beautiful story. And then we changed, they gave us some gift and shared the meal. It was a very unique experience. And it was my first time actually get into American home and also had an opportunity to learn how American people live. It is a very different lifestyle where we come from. And that was a great, unique experience. So it's always helpful for me to remember when we did get some pushback in our respective communities to know that that's really not what defines the entirety of the community. And so we can broaden that out into the Fort Wayne community too. You can always find the naysayers, but there are a lot of people who see opportunity and can move towards it. So, man, I appreciate you sharing that story. And I think the pressing question that's in my mind is the family that invited you over, can they cook? I mean, like, how was the dinner? Because <laughs> I could be free this Christmas if they got an extra seat at the table. <laughs> uh, we actually we actually share some pizza. I mean, we love our cheese pizza. So we actually share some cheese pizza, yes. Nice, nice. <laughs> My mind always goes to food, y'all. It's, it's, just, it's just where I go. I'm wondering what advice you might have for other faith communities that are wanting to bridge that gap, or even just individuals that are kind of curious but don't know how to take that first step in trying to form a relationship with someone outside of their faith tradition or faith community. What's kind of a simple advice that they can give that might help them get started and move toward each other? Like I mentioned earlier, I came from an isolated community, a very deep culture background society. So I understand staying within our community, interacting with our you know own congregant is very comfortable. But if you are wanting to go out of your comfort zone, there's a lot to learn. I mean, I know there's a lot to learn about Christianity. And the more I learn about Christianity, the more I appreciate and the more I respect our Christian friends. And I sincerely appreciate today's invitations. And this kind of conversation is very important to create more inclusive society and to create a positive energy. And when we get to know one another, to understand one another, to love one another, we have to open our hearts. When we open our hearts, there are endless possibilities that we can do. Uh, and we need more interactions and we can interact I believe in a three-way. One is the community level, one is the organizational level, and one also a personal level. Uh, on the community levels, in, on our center, we have several gathering, festival, fundraiser throughout the year. And I like you invite you all of you to come to one of our fundraiser to enjoy the foods, to learn about more of the community, and invite us to when you have such uh, festivals or gathering in a different community. We will love to come too. Uh, for the organizational level, we can do conversation like this: podcast presentation at the mosques or church and. We can also find some common activity that Christians and the churches and the mosques can do together. And I, I'm also very interested in the, having such a relationship in a personal level uh, among our community members. Uh, many of us left our parents, our friends, when we came to the United States. Sometimes we are hungry for love. Sometimes we want to share love. 
I imagine it would be very nice if every Muslim family befriend with the Christian family, invite each other to the family meals. Pastor Joe just invited me for the Thanksgiving dinner. Unfortunately, I was out of town and we will make this happen very soon, Joe. Like I said, it would be very nice to have that personal level relationship with among you know, Christian community and Muslim communities. I think, yes, we can interact three ways, community level, organizational levels, and then the personal levels. If the congregants or the churches, Marxists are willing to come out of the comfort zone. I think that's really well said, Samin. And you've been so helpful in helping to create on-ramps for other people into greater awareness or to take a step of curiosity. I pulled together a, a group of pastors and leaders. And so Min was willing to host a meeting where he shared about his community's assimilation into Fort Wayne. And it was super helpful for people to get the backstory and and the understanding. And, And when you understand what life is like as a refugee, whether you're Muslim or Christian, the refugee life is a difficult life and very, very different from what we experience here in the States. So when you have that background and understanding, it, it impacts your heart as well as your head, or at least it should. And so if you're looking to connect into the community more than, you know, even calling up Somin U and the BMECC is a good way to do that. I think on any of the three levels that you were talking about, Somin, what occurs to me is, and this is indicative of my own story, if you're going to take a step The first thing you got to just get clear with on yourself is you got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And oftentimes, those of us in America, especially if you're Anglo, you're always in the majority wherever you go. And that feels a certain way. But when you step out of the majority and you step into a minority setting where you're no longer majority, it just it frankly doesn't feel right. The feeling is this isn't right. And that's what you got to get comfortable feeling what everyone else feels all the time who aren't in the majority. And that takes some nerve and that takes some practice. Actually, that's an essential part in my faith journey. And part of my calling actually is to pursue that. I think as I pursue the life of Jesus in me, I think what the scriptures reveal to me is that he could go in and out of different cultural environments very easily. He was okay if he was with the rich and powerful, but he was also just himself when he was with some of the folks who were poorest and and most hurting. And so I call it being gloriously out of place. Where do you find yourself gloriously out of place? Probably that's a place where something cool can happen. So for those considering or contemplating wanting to get to know, you know, any neighbors who are different than you, you're just going to have to check down the fact that you're going to have to be okay being uncomfortable because eventually it's going to turn into something different, something new as possible if you put yourself there. So I want to share this story real quick here too. So I was invited to another church. It was, they have a, a program on Sunday morning. It's called Peace Talk Program. So I was invited. That was the first time I invited to a church before I visited to a fellowship. I wasn't very comfortable. I don't know how the family of that church will accept me or not sure how that going to be. So 
I couldn't even sleep on Saturday nights. I told my wife that I have this program that I have to, it's kind of interview settings and want to learn more about our communities. I told my wife that being a Muslim and going to the Christian and church, I'm not sure how that church family accept me or not. But what I observed after the program that church family members came to me, gave me hugs, and they shared their empathies after hearing my story, where we come from. And it was a very welcoming and unique experience being being a church. I shared this with in our congregant too. I mean, sometimes it would be uh, uncomfortable to go to a mosque or to visit a church. It goes both ways, doesn't it? I like that phrase, Joe. What was that, gloriously out of place? Yeah, for me, it's it's just you wouldn't expect to find yourself in that place or others wouldn't expect you to find you there. And yet that's where some of the best things can happen. I think we've got a podcast episode title now. <laughs> that's fantastic. So as we come towards the end of this interview, I just had a couple of follow-up questions. What are some unique needs of the Burmese Muslim community and how can those needs be met by others? Uh, one of the challenges that we have as a community is having our own cemetery. Just like we need a school for our children, religion facilities to practice according to our uh, faiths, parts, and playground for our mind and body. And in a safe environment to raise our family. And a cemetery is necessity. And it is necessity because we are immoral. And that is unavoidable. For that very reason, there is no doubt a cemetery is important for every community, and certainly it is important for our community as well. Over the last 15 years, we have buried over 100 community members in two different cemeteries just in north of Fort Wayne, including my father. Within the first three months of arriving in the United States, my father passed away. In such a short period of time, our feet were not warm enough settling in a new home, let alone be burying your loved one. I wasn't ready back then. I don't think I would ever be ready for that. Worst of all, having to figure out to bury my father within 48 hours was too much to bear. After my father passed away, the next 15 years, we continue to puzzle every time we have a funeral in our community. And we needed a solution. Uh, that solution was to establish a Muslim cemetery. And our friend Joe acknowledged the important aspect of that cemetery for our community, and he showed his support since one day. He was there at the public hearing to support the projects, along with many other leaders too, including Amani Family Service. They supported in the public hearing. They also contributed the financial support as well. So as a community, we need the asymmetry projects. That was the, the latest challenge that we have. And what we see is many community members, leaders from the Fort Wayne supported. And the, the projects were approved and we are working on to get the construction going. Hopefully by early next year, we will have that cemetery established. Very cool. And is there a place that people can go to learn more about that or even potentially contribute if they feel so inclined? They can connect through me or our boss. We have a Facebook page and we also have an online website that people can go and donate or they can also come to visit our center and make those donations or any contributions they, they want. The cemetery is going to be in South Fort Wayne. It is going to be on the Hassan Cass Road. We purchased a land about 16 
acre, all right, we were thinking to do the first three acre to use as a cemetery for now. We have about 2,000 various lots and which should last about 20 years within our communities. Sure. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, and I'll just add that one thing I learned, we talked about what I learned from the community. One thing I learned about the community is their burial practices are not very different than our own. And so, I mean, some cultures' burial practice can be wildly different, but there's not that much difference except for critical things to it, like an immediate burial. And, you know, it was just connected me on a heart level when the community had to wait up to a week in some cases to see their loved one buried when their religious practice calls for an immediate burial. And I, I thought, yeah, it's, I think there should be a solution to that challenge and having a cemetery where it is set up for Muslim burial practice seems like it's the right solution. So, All right. Well, Joe, is there anything you'd like to share about World Partners as we wrap? Yeah, I just accepted a a new position here this fall. It's actually the international ministries arm of the denomination that I've been a part of for a long time, Missionary Church USA. So I'm going to have a lot of fun and hopefully add some value connecting church leaders here in the West with disciple-making movements that are happening across the globe. And it puts me in a position to connect with different parts of the church that are alive and thriving and flourishing in the places where they are, despite hardship and persecution. And so I'm looking forward to playing a role in making the connection between the two. All right. Thanks very much. I just want to add one more thing. I really appreciate having me here today. I mean, coming from the most of the community members come from a place where People hate each other, look down on each other, you know, discriminate one another. And it is never good in a society where people, you know, isolated a group of people, segregating one another. That can only bring negative impact to our society. I mean, when we arrive here in the United States, we have different kind of barriers, not understanding the language, not understanding the culture, and then raising the kids in the whole new society is scary. But I normally say this. Fort Wayne is the best place to raise a family because people like you, people like Pastor Joe, who value others, who respect one another, who are so welcoming. So I, I really appreciate for giving me this opportunity to share our stories. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll take you up on that invitation. I'd love to bring my family out to one of your celebrations at some point. So we'll definitely do that. Sure, sure. All right. Thanks very much. Pastor Joe Johns and Soman U. we really appreciate your time. Thank you for being here. And hopefully we'll look forward to talking to you again. Thank you. Thank you for having me here today. So much. So that was our interview with So Min Woo and Joe Johns. Ben, what are some of your thoughts or takeaways from that conversation? You know, our loyal podcast listeners know this about me, but I, I really love food. And some of my favorite episodes of this podcast are the ones in which I get to bring food up and it plays an integral role 
and community building. And this was another episode in which food, dining together, fellowshipping around a common meal played a critical role in building relationships. And so I just, I really appreciated that it came up and I don't even know when it's coming up. And so I'm always pleasantly surprised in interviews and in conversations when we get to bring up food as a key piece of the topic of our conversation. And so that really blessed me. And in all seriousness, I thought it was beautiful that they got together around, I think it was just cheese pizza, right? Like they just invited them over and they just, they had a meal around cheese pizza and that was the icebreaker. It was nothing crazy, exquisite, crazy, fancy. It was pizza. And I just, I thought that was beautiful. And the fact that they're working on trying to get together for Thanksgiving or the holidays again, just speaks to the longevity of the relationship that's been built. And so I really appreciated just hearing that and seeing the genuine friendship that both men clearly experience from one another. Yeah. And it's interesting. I mean, you kind of brought it up jokingly, but it's a serious thing eating together, right? Oh no, I'm, I was very serious. I, I don't, I don't joke <laughs> about food. <laughs> But I've often reflected on that, like, what is it that's so magical about eating and just thinking about how, as human beings, it's something that we're required to do three times a day, basically, or however many times a day you do it. But then sharing that with others and also what it symbolically means of, you know, helping keep them alive, helping keep energy in their bodies. There's just a real beauty to the thought process behind it. And I think we potentially take that for granted, especially in our kind of isolated American context, that we tend to dine alone just with our family only. But how meaningful and how important it can be to invite other folks into that daily practice, at least on occasion. Well, and a meal can tell you so much about a people, right? You can learn about cultural customs, expectations, the taste buds of the family, their predilections. You can learn about allergies. I mean, in some ways, like it seems really simple and maybe trite, but sharing a meal can tell you an awful lot about people. And I think it's not hard to do. It's just something that kind of naturally happens as you're experiencing food together. And so that might be why it's such a beautiful thing to do and so meaningful. Yeah. And I also really like that they could articulate not only what they each individually learned and got out of the friendship, but what their communities got out of it. And they weren't shy about talking about some of the pushback or the hurdles that they each experienced early on. And I thought that's helpful, you know, because that's the reality. And when you're a leader of a faith community, there will be folks that don't quite see your vision or that have their own ideas and want to offer some resistance. And so for them to be able to articulate how their community has grown in spite of and through and maybe even because of that early resistance, I thought was really important. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we don't want to to belabor this. And I'm wondering, Matt, what resources do you feel like really kind of highlight and enhance the discussion that we experienced today? Well, it's hard to say because I think an overarching piece of this is just the idea of hospitality and hospitality, thinking about it in terms of a mutual context. I think often we think about hospitality as the person with helping the person without. But I think as you described, there was a mutuality to their two communities coming together, working together and helping one another. And so just a reminder that hospitality is good for its own sake and for the sake of the other, but it's also good for oneself because you encounter other people. And like I said at the beginning of the podcast, if you only know about someone, you really don't know about them. Mm. And so hospitality is getting to know others and taking seriously their humanity and their personhood. So I think hospitality With that in mind, there's an interesting article that was written in 2013 by Wayne Miller called Beyond Hospitality, and he talks about kind of a specific scenario where there were a lot of Spanish-speaking immigrants moving into the area in his congregation and the dilemma that that created and how they reframed the conversation 
and just some other really interesting points to thinking about hospitality in the face of people who may be very, very different from oneself. Mm. So I think it's just kind of a cool article, cool case study, not a super long read, but just really interesting in how they grappled and wrestled with the idea of hospitality in that specific setting. Yeah, absolutely. Hospitality was definitely a good theme of this interview, kind of a, a subtopic, if you will. So it makes sense that you'd want to to bring that up. And it's something that's often talked about and more of a prevalent value in certain faith communities that stress less often in others, but still something that's pretty common in our communities broadly. I wanted to bring a book slash an organization. Uh, the book is called Interfaith Leadership, a Primer. It's by Ibu Patel, and he's the founder and president of the Interfaith Youth Corps. And the reason I like this book is because it offers anecdotes and narratives about interfaith experiences, about interfaith and religious leaders in communities where you wouldn't expect to find them making an impact in the community wrestling with how to, to kind of fold them into their experience, fold them into their understanding. And it speaks about the transformation that can happen even when there's resistance initially. And so for those that maybe are that leader in a community that is outside of the norm for your faith tradition, I think it can be useful. And for those that maybe are in a community and you know of a leader who comes from a faith tradition that isn't the dominant tradition in your community, I think there are anecdotes and stories and tips that can be useful, regardless of what side of the leadership spectrum that you're on. And so I want to recommend Interfaith Leadership by Ibu Patel, and then also encourage you to check out his organization, the Interfaith Youth Corps. They're doing some really good work. They're also funded, at least in part, by the Lilly Endowment like we are And I know they're pretty active on some college campuses and university campuses. So check them out as well. Thanks for that, Ben. And I think in an increasingly diverse society that we live in, and the numbers just show that it's getting increasingly more diverse, we need to learn how to live well with one another Mm -hmm. in some way, shape, or form. And so it sounds like that's a really great resource that might advance that cause. Absolutely. And I love the way you say that, living well with one another. That's, That's what it boils down to, right? And part of living well is offering gratitude. And so in that spirit, we want to thank Jaden Lee, who is our audio engineer extraordinaire for helping us sound intelligent, proficient, and remotely like we're good at this craft. So Jaden, we really appreciate you for that and all the work you put in. Absolutely. We also want to thank the generosity of the Lilly Endowment that funds the Center for Congregations and all of our work. Yes. And we want to invite you all to check out our social media pages. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Center for Congregations or check out our website. And as always, if you want to find more great resources that might benefit you or your communities, you can go to our online database, the CRG.org. That is T-H-E-C-R-G.org. And if you benefit from our podcast at all, we would love for you to go and rate and review us. The five-star rating really helps other people to find our podcast and find good information. So if you enjoy it, we would love for you to do that. If you don't enjoy it, why are you listening this deep in the podcast? Great question. Why are you here? Why are you still here? Go do something else. I mean, we love you. We're happy that you're here. Well, but I mean, okay. (laughs) (laughs) But in all seriousness, we do also want to give, you know, our now traditional random shout out to... Our listeners in Houston, Texas, we've had a 2100% increase in listenership in Houston, Texas, and we really appreciate uh, that increase in uptick in volume. So thank you to those that are listening. Yeah, Houston. Especially to the downloads we've gotten October and November. So Houston, we love you. Thanks for listening. If you're listening this deep, email us with an email subject that just says Astros rule and we'll know it's you. So thank you. (laughs) 
Well, everyone, we thank you so much. we got one more episode coming out in a couple weeks where we have a conversation with our president, Tim Shapiro, just kind of a reflection on the year and the coming year. But thanks for sticking with us throughout this season. And we look forward to talking with you again in a couple weeks and also for next season. So for the Center for Congregations, I am Matt Burke. And I am Ben Tapper. We hope you all celebrate holidays this time of year. Enjoy your holidays. Thank you.